Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. All right, my friends, here we go. Another day full of lunacy here. We're going to wade through at the Todd Huff Show. It's a pleasure to be here. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and of course, you can... um, Always send those questions, comments, feedback. And yes, even that adoration and praise will be accepted. It's good to be here. Thank you for joining us. So I want to start today. Tonight, Joe Biden is going to be addressing uh, the nation, presumably. I never really know how this is going to go with, with Joe. But Joe Biden is going to address the nation as America's first woke president. America's first woke president here with President Joe Biden. By the way, before I forget, did you see did you see yesterday Biden Biden they got him all, you know, dressed up with his aviators on. Um doing their best to make him look like America's, you know, cool first cool president since Obama. And he's leaving the podium. He was taking questions. And started to leave the podium, came back, heard a question apparently he wanted to address about COVID in in India, which is uh, supposedly – I say – there's just some deceiving information. I've, I've seen articles with images, and I'm not – please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's not a problem with COVID in, in, in India. I am saying that some of the images that I've seen used in headlines – have been demonstrated to be images from several years ago. So again, this could just be uh, individual, either journalistic malpractice or individual journalistic deceit um, on, a, on a smaller level. Doesn't mean there's not a bigger problem. Maybe they just needed a photograph and they found it and thought that this one communicated the feel. I'm not justifying or defending it. But anyway, there is that going on out there. But he was asked about... Um, you know, a question about COVID relief for the nation of India, and he came back to the podium, and he actually we apologized, which whatever. I mean, and then he said, "I'm going to be in trouble." <laughs> you know, well, here you can hear it yourself. Listen to this real quick. Here we go again. I literally just listened to this thing. Bear with me here. Let's try this again. Here we go. AstraZeneca, will you make it faster to get for them to get the vaccine? The vaccines we will get soon. India, they're suffering. He's walking back to the podium now. I'm sorry. I'm gonna. This last question I'll take, and I'm really gonna be in trouble. I'm really gonna be in trouble. With regard to India, which whatever. I mean, it's maybe he's just trying to be funny or cutesy here. But for a lot of people, we hear that and we think he's. It's because when they have the meetings with the guy, and they're like Joe. 
Our job is to make sure we keep you on the teleprompter or from, you know, to keep you from ad-libbing here as much as possible. We want to keep you on the script. We want to keep you on the teleprompter. When you walk away from that podium, we all take a collective sigh of relief um, if you, you know, got through that without some major gaffe or faux pas or whatever. Just walk away, man. Walk away from that podium. Don't go back. That's... (laughs) And I think that's that's a lot of us when we hear that, we think that might be actually an honest statement by Joe. His aides may get around him and say, look, President, Mr. President, with all due respect here, um, let's not go back to the podium because that is just inviting trouble. We ran a campaign with you hiding in the basement. Occasionally we would take you out. And find a you know a few cars in a parking lot and have people honk. Again, as I've said before, it's because people were dozing off in the car. I'm convinced of this, and their heads were hitting the horns, waking, uh, waking themselves back up. Maybe even waking Biden up. For all we know, Mr. President, that's why that's why we we do these things. That's why um, you were talking about hearing geese from working out of your home basement. Maybe that was embarrassing enough, but we, if we take you out in public, we don't know what else you're going to say out there. So some, of course, think that. But but tonight he's going to be addressing uh, addressing the nation, a form of the State of the Union address. And, and, and I want to reference something here. I said Biden is the America's first, first woke president, first woke president. And I'm referencing an article here in Vox. Yes, I read Vox. You know, it's funny to me. It's funny to me. The left will say, oh, conservatives, they just listen to Fox News. They just watch OAN. They just listen to Newsmax, whatever. Just a bunch of propaganda. These folks cannot, they have no idea what's going on in the real world. They don't, they're not educated. They're not seeking information outside of their bubble. And that may be true for some, but I will say this. I will say this, if you want to find, you, you know, you, you can listen on the ones I carved out. You can listen to those news sources or you can listen to the folks in the other part of the media. The other part of the media is completely identical with one another. And even though they have a bunch of names and a bunch of logos that say things like ABC, NBC, CBS, Vox, MSNBC, CNN, they're all the same. They are. They are all the same. They all force this liberal woke propaganda down the throats of the American public. And it doesn't matter how many of them you check off and, and you, you tick and say, hey, you know, I, I surround myself with all sorts of information. Vox, Vox is ABC to me. Vox is NBC to me. In fact, sometimes Vox is more responsible than those other networks. At least Vox, we know where Vox is coming from. Right, we know this. CBS and ABC and these folks—they want you to think they're coming from an unbiased, truly uh, journalistic perspective, and that is unequivocally incorrect. There's nothing to, um, there, there's no truth or veracity to that to that claim or statement. So Vox is where, um, you know, it's it's, it's a home of, of leftists. They're talking with James Carville, Democratic strategist. From Louisiana, I actually kind of like James Carville. James Carville, of course, married to Mary Matlin. She is a Republican strategist, which many people find 
perplexing. How can someone, how can two people who really don't get, agree on much of anything in politics, how do they stay married and live together and all this sort of stuff? But James Carville, I don't, I don't mind him. He seems like a, you know, I mean, I don't like his ideas. I don't like, but, but at times he seems to be pretty straightforward. And he, he addresses this in this interview. Sean Illing wrote this interview, posted it uh, yesterday morning, said, I called James Carville hoping to get his thoughts on President Joe Biden's first 100 days in office. Remember, this this is now we entered the normal phase of politics. We had President Donald Trump. No one cared about President Donald Trump's first 100 days in office. The first 100 seconds in office, Trump was under assault by the media. They were calling for his impeachment publicly by day 11. I've gone through and we've we've gone through the timeline here and and laid this out by day 11. You know the the president of the United States is not I'm not saying it's constitutional or anything like this, but the president of the United States when they're newly elected, they're given a period of time typically in American history called the honeymoon period. President Trump never got anything remotely close to this. And it's because it's because once they, they being the media, they being the radicals, the Democrat Party leadership, realized that President Trump was going to start doing and implementing the things he campaigned on during the 2020 campaign, once they realized that he was really going to be president, once they realized that the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign was never going to turn into the Hillary, uh, Hillary Clinton presidency, and they dried their tears and they ran out of service dogs and adult coloring books and adult crayons and all these things, service dogs, things that Republicans and conservatives, we didn't need. I haven't needed any of these things to cope with the Joe Biden presidency. But the woke back in 2020 needed to deal, needed those things to deal with a Trump presidency. But once they realized, oh, man, this guy's going to be president, we better immediately start to fight this guy. They did. They absolutely did. There was no honeymoon period. There was no period of, you know, America getting to know Trump. It was all out political war. All out political war. Now, I'm not saying Trump didn't invite any of that. Of course, of course he did. But this is the strategy. This is the template for how you deal, the media deals with conservative or Republican presidents. Go back to George W. Bush. Look at that. See, Bush never responded to the criticism. Bush never did anything but stay the course. They ignored this this sort of talk and so forth, and that's what they did. And there were consequences to pay. Trump is not that is not wired that way, so he went headlong into this and, and just you know came out swinging. And again, as I've said before, normally the Democrats and the media apply pressure, start making accusations. Republican leaders or presidents will succumb to that uh, pressure, eventually apologize or some such thing. Trump responds by saying, you're fake news. Then they, they, the media, amp it up again. And Trump says, I'm sorry for calling you fake news. You're very fake news. And this goes on and on and on and on. So there was never a honeymoon period whatsoever. We've got that with Biden. We got him out there in his aviators. We've got this talk about Biden's trying to unite America. Wink, wink, give me a break. In fact, most people even realize that I've seen polling that shows that most people know that that's not what's what's taking place. He's leading a 
covert attempt in many ways to uh, radicalize, to push through some pretty radical agenda items. And so you've got the AOCs of the world who have been applauding Biden in many ways, saying the radical left should be pleased with him. But then you've got the likes of Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, who are, who are basically saying we're not going to take it as far as some of the radicals in Congress want. Then we've got Chuck Schumer leading the Senate, fearing a run, fearing a um, primary challenge from AOC. He's going to take it further left because he's not going to be out-liberaled by AOC. And if she decides to run for Senate, potentially taking some of those liberal uh, radical liberal votes from New York City. So there's all sorts of dynamics happening here. There's all sorts of dynamics happening across across the political scene. But one of those things is is this observation of Biden's first 100 days, a true presidency um, in the sense of historical context of let us see what this president. Let's get to know him. Let's let's talk about his favorite flavor of ice cream. Let's talk about his dogs. Let's talk about his aviators. Let's talk about anything that just makes this guy humanized, makes him connect with people. Let's give him a chance because, of course, he is currently the person in power, even though he's not necessarily uh, the leader. But he is he is the person that is the president of the United States, and he is going to uh, – they, they, it's helpful to the movement – and to the ideology the media and the left want to see achieved for people to like this guy. And so they're doing everything in their power, everything in their power to do this. And so that's what James Carville was called about. Now, I'm going to stop here and take a break. When I get back, I want to get into the very early in this interview, Biden, or excuse me, Carville, when talking about Biden and Biden's first 100 days, starts to criticize his party. He starts to criticize his party um, with some, well, some things that you might even hear on a program like this, which is interesting. It's interesting because Carvel at times can be a straight shooter. Of course, he's also a strategist. He's also uh, one who is always thinking several steps ahead. So there could be other reasons he's saying these things. But I still, when I read this and listen, I think that this is uh, genuinely how the guy feels, and he's afraid of the hard left turn, the hard left turn the Democrat Party has taken and we're witnessing before our very eyes, and we're going to hear about tonight during Biden's State of the Union address, if that's even what this is in uh, the end of April of, um, of his first term. So there you go. Set the stage, get back, talk about wokeness. America's first woke president here. You're listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. Welcome back. I just saw during the break on Fox that Hunter Biden is going to be a guest speaker at Tulane University, a 10-week class at Tulane online, of course. Um, Last night, this was confirmed by a spokesperson at Tulane. Hunter Biden is going to be one of the guest speakers at a a, uh, 
during a course, an online course. The course title is Media Polarization and Public Policy Impacts. Media Polarization. And they're going to focus on, quote, the current state of the media landscape in the United States and how media polarization, fake news, and the the economics of the new business impact, public policymaking in Washington, D.C. I don't know if that's written correctly, but whatever. Here we go. Hunter Biden out there. Oz says, can you imagine? Can you imagine the cries from the media of, if uh, Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump was Ivanka Trump was invited to speak at a class during Trump's uh, – be, be part of the course leadership, I guess, <laughs> during Trump's presidency, the outcry. This would have been a constitutional crisis, none, no, no doubt. Anyway, so by the way, I should mention as well, program brought to you in part by our friends at Molar Printing. You know, I've known the folks at Molar Printing for a long time. In fact, I've probably – I've known them for over 10 years. Chuck and Dave, uh, friends of mine, they've uh, they've helped me with many projects in the past. Provide good, high quality printing on the Near East side of Indianapolis, and they are just a well well run, good group of of people there. Molar Printing, you can visit them molarprinting dot com. That's M O E L L E R molarprinting.com, or give them a call three one seven three five three two two. Two four. Be sure to tell me you heard about heard about them on the program. So let's get back to this this article in Vox. America's wokeness. America's wokeness. Carvel a little bit concerned about this. Um, he's being interviewed by a guy named Sean Elling at Vox, and he asked him, "What do you make of Biden's first 100 days?" Carvel says this. Honestly, if we're just talking about Biden, it's very difficult to find something to complain about. <laughs> Again, he's a Democrat strategist. So, look, the guy's a per- perfect president, right? Everything's fine. Um, just doing what needs to be done. He's not, basically, as we'll find out for the rest of his questions, not taking us too far left, but that, of course, is a game. It's always a game and a game of optics by the left. Pretend that you're not taking the part uh, too far left. But even at some point, for the establishment types like Carvel, if you begin to even... There is a line that they don't want you to cross because they realize it's hard to get reelected if you are too far left in this country. So he continues, Carville continues here, and to me, he says, his biggest attribute is that he's not into, quote, faculty lounge politics, to which Sean Illing asked the question, faculty, faculty lounge politics, question mark. Carvel says, you ever get the sense that people in faculty lounges and fancy colleges use different language than ordinary people? They come up with a term like Latinx that no one else uses. Or they use a phrase like communities of color. I don't know anyone who speaks like that. I don't know anyone who lives in a community of color. I know lots of white and black and brown people, and they all live in neighborhoods. There's nothing inherently wrong with these phrases. But this is not how people talk. This is how vote this is not how voters talk. And doing it anyway is a signal that you're talking one language and the people you want to vote for you are speaking another language. This stuff is harmless in no in one sense, but in another sense it's not. Sean Illing responds, is the problem the language or the fact that the 
there are facts or excuse me, there are lots of voters who just don't want to hear about race and racial injustice. We have to talk about race, Carvel says. We should talk about racial injustice. What I'm saying is we need to do it without using jargony language. <laughs> That's unrecognizable to most people, including most black people, by the way, because it signals that you're trying to talk around them. This is too cool for school. <laughs> Four-letter excrement here. This too cool for school stuff doesn't work, and we have to stop it. So then it goes on to say the the the, the journalist here, Sean Illing, asks or says, "Sounds like you have a problem with wokeness, James. Wokeness is a problem, and everybody knows it. That's what James Carville says. Wokeness." is a problem, and everyone knows it. It's hard to talk to anybody today, and I talk to lots of people in the Democratic Party who doesn't say this, but they don't want to say it out loud. And he asks, why not? Well, because they'll get clobbered or canceled. And look, part of the problem is that lots of Democrats will say that we have to listen to everybody and we have to include every perspective or that we don't have to run a ruthless messaging campaign. Well, you kind of do. It really matters. I always tell people that we've got to stop speaking Hebrew and start speaking Yiddish. We have to speak the way regular people speak, the way voters speak. It ain't complicated. That's how you connect and persuade, and we have to stop allowing ourselves to be defined from the outside. This is – Carvel has stumbled upon this, and Carvel is Carvel's a smart guy. He is. He's a smart guy. He – he knows what he's doing. He understands messaging. He understands language. He knows how to help coach politicians to connect with people. And he's right on this. Wokeness is a problem for the Democrat Party. It is a major, major part uh, problem to the party. It's a problem for America in the sense that it's creating all sorts of nonsensical gibberish. It's a problem for America in that it's creating all sorts of policies and discussions and just different, I mean, real problems. We're talking about stupid things and the, the, the series. I'm not saying I'm not saying talking about race is stupid, but we end up talking about some something that is so um, far out of reality, this this woke mindset. We end up we end up talking about things that oftentimes I find my health, my, myself scratching my head, thinking, "What in the world? How in the world did we get here? How in the world do we have white people out there who need who are willing for people to explain to them um, why why they should, in fact, have white guilt? Why at What's this, George Floyd Square, wherever uh, George Floyd died um, with uh, when he was under the custody of, of Officer Chauvin last last year? Why? Why do we have signs up? Why do we have signs up that say if you're white, basically shut up? You've got nothing. To, all you have to do here is is learn, learn. You have nothing to contribute. I mean, I. I Took a picture of this thing. It was online. Snapped a screenshot. This is what it says. Welcome to George Floyd Square. It's got a picture. It looks like art. It's not. It's not even a photograph. It looks. I think it's a an artist rendering of of uh, George Floyd. 
It says a sacred space for community, public grief, and protest. This is where George Floyd took his last breath under the knee of a Minneapolis police officer under the watch of three other officers. Enter with reverence, humility, openness as an invited guest. Care for each other by wearing a mask and asking others to wear a mask. Honor the space as a place to connect and to grieve as caring humans. And then there's a, a disclaimer, I guess, or a little section at the bottom. Actually, it's not at the bottom. It's half the stinking page. It's half the page. Almost, I mean, literally, I bet there's more words in this portion than I just read at the top of the page. For white people in particular, for white people in particular, there's five bullet points. Decenter yourself and come to listen, learn, mourn, and witness. Remember, you are here to support, not to be supported. Be mindful of whether your volume, pace, and movements are supporting or undermining your efforts to decenter yourself. I, I, okay, the third point seek to contribute to the energy of the space rather than drain it. Bring your own processing to other white folks so that you will not harm BIPOC by, what is it, uh, biracial, interracial people of color? Is that what that is? It's, it's, I know POC is people of color. I think it might be, I don't know what the first two are. I'd have to look. I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Consider if you want or need to take photos and post them. Do not take photos of other people without their consent. If you witness white folks being problematic thing, listen to this. If you witness white folk, oh, doing, I thought it said being, okay. If you witness white folks doing problematic things, speak up with compassion to take the burden off of black folks and other, and our siblings of color whenever possible or whenever appropriate. Seek to engage rather than escalate so that it can be a learning moment rather than a disruption. Also, I should tell you that in this piece, in this piece, they, you know, white, when you talk about white people in this piece, in this, in this little public notice, this you're entering George Floyd Square, white is not capitalized. They made a mistake. They did capitalize it once, but black is always capitalized. That is, by the way, the AP standard. Did you know that? I think we talked about that before. AP standard now says you have to capitalize the word black when referencing the black community. You do not capitalize white. In fact, if you capitalize white, you will be accused of being a white supremacist because that's what white supremacists do. So I don't know here if the people that wrote this are part white supremacists or not because they capitalized white people presumably by a mistake one time or possibly they have – uh, maybe they're con- unconsciously biased of their white supremacy. I don't know. I don't know how we're supposed to do this, but this is what I mean. This kind of talk, this kind of this type of nonsense. As I'm watching here, um, a scene in New York City that happened. A detective was whacked in the head with a um, a stick from a guy. You saw this probably too. It's been in the media. And we wonder why there's increased racial tensions when you have one group that's supposed to say, we, we don't know what to do. We know we're all to blame. We all should experience white guilt. Tell us what to do. We are inferior, in fact. We've caused all of America's problems and ills. We, are, we, are now, we have now been woken, thanks to President Biden. Thanks to President Biden choosing Kamala Harris to be vice president of the United States, the only criteria for which I'm aware of that he even chose the vice president was that she was a woman and a, um, a black woman. And here we are. 
talking about this nonsense. It will not get again. I'm not saying there's not things that matter or that we should talk about racially. I am saying the caveats, the avenues, where this leads, the woke culture, this flyer, the things that white people believe, white students, you've got all this crazy stuff. You've got segregated parts of campuses now because of because there needs to be black groups and you need to exclude white folks and all this kind of stuff. How is this helpful? How is this healing? How is this good? Quick timeout is in order. Got to take a break a little bit longer in this segment. Listening to Conservative Not Better Talk, I am your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. James Carville, again, looking at this interview, the things that Carville is worried about when he thinks about the Democrat Party, when he thinks about Biden's, well, it just came up in the context of Biden's first 100 days, which we've made it 100 days. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if we would make it 100 days, if I'm being quite candid with you, but we have officially made it 100 days with Biden in office. So we might want to give ourselves a round of applause for that, but... So, Carville being interviewed here by Vox, and I want to skip ahead. He talks about AOC and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and how Marjorie Taylor Greene is crazier than AOC and that there's no comparison between them whatsoever. She should uh, – Marjorie Taylor Greene should require Republicans to pay a steeper political price than AOC should cause the left to pay, which to me seems uh, completely crazy because AOC is – I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin with the crazy, damaging things that have been coming from the lips and mind of one AOC. But Sean Elling asks James Carville this, and I think this is key. This is really key to winning or engaging in uh, a political fight. The, I mean, he, he kind of lays out what the Democrats are afraid of. Sean Elling asks this question. I hear... Versions of this argument about language and perception all the time, James. It's an old problem. What's the solution? And James Carville says, that's why I'm doing this interview. Lots of smart people are going to read it, and hopefully they can figure out that which I can't. But if you're asking me, I think it's because large parts of the country, and here's, I think, the important part. Large parts of the country view us as a, an urban, coastal, arrogant party and a lot gets passed through that filter. That's a real thing. I don't give a damn, he says, what anyone thinks about it. It's a real phenomenon, and it's damaging to the party brand. At his core, James Carville is a brand marketer. James Carville is a communicator. James Carville understands the power and the impact of language. James Carville understands how damaging it is to the Democrat Party if they are effectively branded, which they have been in large parts of the country, if they are effectively branded as an urban, coastal, arrogant party. And But here's the thing. Here's the thing, and I want to say it through this lens. Carville is concerned about the optics, and that's how – that's how brand marketers think about it. They don't even necessarily care if it's true or not. Their job is just to get it to where they need to get the brand to where it needs to be. 
Now, those with integrity, of course, do, but but many just don't. They're like, well, we want we need people to think this about us. We need people to think that we're compassionate. We need people to think that we care about the little man. We need people to believe this, that, and the other so that they understand the Democrat Party is the party of of you know, a party that has a heart and Republican Party is just there to crush the little man and to empower big business. This is what the game is constantly. It's constantly this game of trying to brand one party, rebrand the other party, all this kind of stuff. And it, and there's a war going on, a political war. But my question is always this. Is it true? Is it true? Is this what the Democrat Party is? Because I got to tell you, when I look at the people that lead the party, are they not from urban, coastal um, are they not from urban, urban and coastal areas? And are they not, are they not very arrogant? Uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Chuck Schumer. I mean, these are from the coastal, arrogant, large cities and states disconnected from middle America. Is that, is that false? Are they not arrogant? Look at Nancy Pelosi. The arrogance just drips from Nancy. She's a she's a masterful politician. I have to give her that, and that's not always a good, a good thing because I don't know always where the line is with what Nancy Pelosi is willing willing to do. But the amount of deceit, the amount of just ridiculous things, we have to pass the bill before we know what's in the bill. Sort of talk. How many how many comments like that can you point to from Nancy Pelosi? I feel like there's quite a few. That fall into that that category, dripping of of arrogance, wagging her finger, lecturing Republicans, ignoring her own hypocrisy, getting her hair done in the salon while the other folks in San Francisco aren't a lead, aren't even allowed to go outside. Probably could get a citation for looking outside at one point in this COVID problem that we've been working ourselves through. But you tell me. You tell me what I'm, I'm not here defending Republican Party in mass. I, you, you just won't find me do that. I'll defend individual Republicans. I'll defend ideas that I agree with as much as I can, but I'm not really into that. I'm into advancing ideas that make this, this country better, and they're not coming from the Democratic Party, my friends, at all. That is the party of wokeness. Biden is America's first woke president. Nancy Pelosi is America's first woke speaker of the House. Chuck Schumer is America's first woke Senate majority leader. They want to pack the court. They want to pass the Green New Deal. They want to completely change America's economy. They need to be stopped. These ideas do come. They do come from faculty lounges. These these folks are self-centered and self-righteous, and they do come from coastal and urban areas. People in middle America have as much in common with these folks as they do from a person from another planet. And that is, I think, the truth. Timeout is in order. Sit tight. Back here in just a minute. I had 
forgotten about this. I was telling Oz during the break. There is a... I don't want to say gentleman. There's a person by the name of Tariq Nasheed who calls himself... He's a self-described journalist who calls himself the world's number one race baiter. Again, we've been talking about wokeism. Here you go. This is what this is what is the consequence of wokeism. You have people out there that are proudly calling themselves America's number one race baiter. His name's Tariq Nasheed. You can find this on Twitter. He tweet he he takes a video of a of a man at Holiday Inn checking apparently it, it's a you know it's a minute video. What seems to be they're checking this uh, uh, Mr. Nasheed in or dealing with an issue. I don't really know. We didn't see the whole thing, but we do see this this white Holiday Inn Express worker typing on the computer, and Mr. Nasheed is filming him. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but basically, um, at one point, the the white worker realizes that he's. It appears that it looks like he's trying to frame this because, hey, he's, he's America's number one race baiter as, hey, I'm a black customer and this white guy is messing things up because I'm black. He's racist, obviously. He's white. He ra- has to be racist. So this kid, this young man, takes the computer, picks it up and starts headbutting it, has a meltdown, goes around the corner, starts sobbing. I think from what I hear him saying, he says something about going home to his boyfriend he wants to get married or maybe even said husband it sounds like sounds like he's he's a a gay individual which if this was a conservative this would be targeting of course a gay member of society but anyway this is what it leads to wokeism at its finest quick time out back in just a minute Four million views. That's how many views that, that video I referenced last segment has. And I don't know what happened. In fact, Mr. Nishida has since tweeted he's apparently upset that uh, there's been a GoFundMe page set up for this kid that's raised as of, as of the time of the tweet $34,000. $34, I just, I don't understand. Maybe, maybe the kid did a bunch of stuff he shouldn't have done. I don't know. I don't have the full context. He certainly had a meltdown. And completely lost it. But why post this? Tw- I don't understand this. Maybe you need to show the the his supervisor what he was doing. Maybe the kid did a bunch of bad things. I don't have any idea. But what is the purpose? What type of individual takes that video, posts it, a private citizen's life that clearly is a humiliating situation. 3.4 million views. I just have a problem with this. I don't know what happened, but I've got to go. SDG. See you tomorrow. Take care.